Today, Josh is going to be in a play. It's the second play uh, of his life. The first one was this summer, and because of uh, the pandemic, uh, it was held outside, and it was, you know, not the... um, not as produced as maybe it would be, but this one, this one's going to be a big deal. Uh, it's in the auditorium at Tower School, and he had his dress rehearsal this week, and he was telling me that there are three curtains in Tower School. And the other interesting thing that he was telling me is that in the back of the auditorium, there is a really high place where some of the crew are going to work the light. I started to think about what that must be like to consider the fact that there are going to be uh, bright lights shining on you, that you are going to be in the spotlight. They use a spotlight to direct people's attention, to help them to know what they are to be focusing on. Some of us love it when we are in the spotlight, and some of us would almost never want to be in the spotlight. But for the most part, All of us at different points in our lives like to at least have someone notice us, someone pay attention, someone acknowledge the good things that we have done or just the fact that we have worth just by existing. We like a little bit of light thrown our way at least once in a while in order to acknowledge that we have value and that there are people who notice that we exist. Now there are some of us uh, who happen to be in professions uh, where there are a few more lights on us. And that's certainly uh, one of those professions uh, happens to be people who are preachers or uh, leaders in the church. And there is sometimes uh, a tendency for people in the profession that I am in to love the spotlight more than we should, to want that attention, to actually need that attention, to, to thrive in, uh, in that attention and become desperate and do things for that attention uh, because we love it more than we should. Now, that's not just a problem uh, with pastors, but it's one uh, profession that is uh, prone to that. But everyone likes to have followers. Everyone likes to have friends. Everyone likes to be acknowledged when we are at our very best. Today, we're going to look at a messenger from God, someone who was sent by God, who had some light being thrown on him, who started to get some attention, but had such an incredibly clear calling in his life that he knew exactly how to respond in that moment. This man uh, we know as John the Baptist. But that's not a name that he gave to himself. And if we're reading the Gospel of John, who is actually a different John than John the Baptist, but if we were to give him a name from this Gospel, it would be John the Witness. And John 1, chapter 6, you see that word, uh, John, 1, uh, John chapter 1, verse 6, verses 6 through 8, that word appears three different times, that word witness. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness 
to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John's calling, a man who is sent from God, is abundantly clear. He is there to direct everyone's attention to the Son of God. John makes it, John the evangelist, John the author here, makes it abundantly clear. He's not the light. His role is to reflect the light. He has come to reflect the light of God's Son. A witness uh, in a trial is not the person who is, who is uh, on trial. They're there to provide information about the events that happened. And so even when they get the spotlight on them, when all of the attention is focused on them, they know that it is not about them. It is about something else. They are there not to talk about themselves, but to talk about whatever the event is that they have called in to be witnesses to. They are not the main event. The Gospel of John, we've seen uh, reflections of uh, the creation story. He starts right in the beginning with the same words as Genesis 1, in the beginning. He's bringing us all the way back to God's magnificent creation. And then he talks about light and God's very first thing that he created is the light. When God spoke, the light came into being. But John is talking, uh, saying that that's not the first metaphor he uses for Jesus. The first metaphor is the word. The actually, uh, the, the thing that did or the being that did the creating. And he wants us to know that the word is uncreated. That he has existed before everything else. That there never was a time that the word did not exist. Same way the word is equal to God, has all of the attributes of God, is no less than God, but God is incomplete without the word, is this amazing being that blows our minds to think about. So those are the uh, creation themes so far in John chapter 1. And then we get another one in verse 6 when he says, there was a man. That uh, word was there is really the word for there became a man or a man was created and man is anthropos, the word where we get anthropology. And he's uh, reflecting once again back into Genesis 1 where God creates humanity, the, the Adam, the apex of his creation. He is the one that God spent extra time and extra attention to and breathed into him the breath of life. The most important being in all of God's creation. So when God creates man, there's a spotlight on him. And you think, wow, that is amazing. And it is a magnificent. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God formed us in our mother's womb. God spent extra time and attention and love in creating us. But ultimately, it is not about us. Because in Genesis 1, we read that 
God created the man, so the man in male and female, man and woman, in his image as a reflection of who God is. When ancient kings uh, wanted to show that they uh, ruled over a particular territory, they would leave an image of themselves in that territory. So typically some sort of uh, statue that people could look at and it would be a reflection of the king. They would know that the king ruled there. So when God wants uh, the world and all of creation to know that he rules over the earth, he creates a living image of himself. A magnificent image. But the point of the image is not to draw attention to that being, but to reflect the glory of the one that created them. John's role and our role is not to draw attention to ourselves, but to reflect the glory of Jesus, God's Son. We are not the light. We are simply here to reflect the light. And so uh, John, the writer of this gospel, makes it abundantly clear what is the calling of John the Baptist. Uh, he says, puts him in his place right away and says that uh, you're not to, he's not there to, about himself. It's not about him. It's all about the word, the light that is coming after him. And part of the reason uh, that some think that he's doing this so early in the gospel is that uh, there were some followers of John who thought that it was all about John. And even uh, after Jesus uh, does his ministry, he it dies and is resurrected and, and the church starts preaching, they actually discover some people who are still just following John. They, they still haven't heard about Jesus. And so uh, the gospel wants to make it abundantly clear that, that he didn't exist to, to gather followers around himself. He existed to point other people to Jesus. And so even early in John the Witness's ministry, he starts getting a light shown on him. He's out on the other side of the Jordan. He's baptizing people. People are coming to him as he's preaching and then a crowd's starting to gather and it gets the attention of some of the leaders in Jerusalem. So these are the, the most important leaders in the Jewish faith and they hear about this man named John who is uh, starting to, to um, get some attention. And so they think, well, we're going to shine a spotlight on him. We want to figure out who this guy is and what he is doing. In chapter 19, we read, this is the testimony. That's the same word there is witness. This is the witness of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? They're shining the light on him. They want to know who he is. And it says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. <laughs> three different ways there, or two different ways in three different times. It's saying over and over, John knew his assignment. He got it right. He didn't get it wrong. He got it right. If someone says, Eric, uh, 
I know that you took the cookies from the Christmas walk. I have to say, I confess, I am the one who did it. I do not deny that I don't have self-control. I confess, I am the one who did it. Uh, it is abundantly clear uh, what actually happened. <laughs> that I took cookies from the Christmas walk. I confess that now. The spotlight is shining on me and I'm making it abundantly clear what exactly happened. Here is the spotlight shining on John the Baptist. He makes it abundantly clear it is not about him. His answers are actually uh, frustratingly short. He says, I am not the Christ. It is not about me. And they say, well, okay, you're not the Christ. Uh, are you Elijah? They knew in the Old Testament that uh, Elijah, or they had this idea that Elijah was going to come back, that he was going to precede the Christ. And in some places in the Bible, uh, we kind of get the sense that uh, John the Baptist is that one. But we don't get that sense from John the Baptist himself. Because he answers, I am not. They say, well, if you're not uh, Elijah, then, uh, well, maybe you're the prophet. Maybe you're the one like Moses, or actually Moses himself who... Uh, Moses said that God would raise up another one like him. His answer is even shorter, no, he says. His answers get increasingly uh, more concise as they continue to ask him. And they start to get frustrated. Well, if you're not Christ and you're not Moses and you're not Elijah, you've got to tell us who we are. People sent us here uh, in order to find out who you are. If John ever had a chance to let the light shine on him, uh, to start to make a name for himself, this was his chance. He could give something. God's, God's put his hand on his life. He is a, a, a beautiful uh, creation, a powerful creation of God. But instead, he continues to reflect the light of Christ. Verse 23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He says, I am a voice. All throughout this passage, we've been reading about the Word. And the Word is, is God's spoken Word, the way that He acts in creation. The Word throughout the Bible is a, a powerful force. It is God himself acting in the world. In Isaiah chapter 40, which Tanya read as we lit the candle, we read that all flesh is like grass, but the word of the Lord endures forever. If Jesus is the word that endures forever, John is a voice, a puff of air that goes out into the world and then it disappears. N.T. Wright says that John is kind of like a siren on an ambulance or a, a, a police car. Uh, you hear it as you're driving. And what do you do when you hear it? You get out of the way. You, you open up the road so that it can pass through. And John says, I'm preparing the road for someone who is 
coming after me. I want all of the direct, all of the attention focused on him. And John uh, didn't know everything about Jesus, but he had the sense that Jesus was far greater than anything that he could ever imagine. In fact, he says in verse 27, verse 26, John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. In that culture, uh, you could ask your servants uh, to do pretty much anything. One of the, the lowest tasks that you would ask them to do would be to, to take off your shoes. That would be reserved for the very lowest servants. And in some places, they, you wouldn't even ask a Jewish person. That was a task reserved for a Gentile if, if someone was going to do that for you. John says, who am I? I am so lowly compared to the one who is coming that I am not even qualified to take off his shoes. I'm not even qualified to touch his feet. If there's any attention on me right now, if there's anything good about me, it is just a small reflection of the greatness of the one who comes after me. It's said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And John certainly exemplifies that. He thought about Jesus. He meditated on who Jesus was. He was prepared to meet Jesus, and he knew that he was going to be beyond his wildest imagination. He had looked into the light of Jesus and he knew that whatever light he had was simply a reflection of this glorious light. I want you to know that you are important. I want you to, to be noticed and I want people in your life to, to notice you. But I also want you to know that ultimately it isn't about you. Whenever people do notice those amazing things that you do, know that those things are simply a reflection of someone who is so much greater than we could ever imagine. As we go through this season and uh, we think about uh, what Christmas meant to us when we were kids, or if you're a kid right now, you think about that, and, and it's hard not to think that uh, it, it has something to do with you because you're thinking about uh, what you're going to get on Christmas. And that's kind of the way that uh, it works. Uh, and that's kind of the way that all of us tend to think, what is it, it what's, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? John the evangelist and John the witness are continually pointing us to something greater than ourselves. One who has existed beyond uh, uh, our existence, beyond an existence that we can even imagine. And someone who is going to exist forever. And one who eventually all of the glory will be given to him. We exist 
to reflect the glorious light of God's Son. That's hard for us to remember, and we don't often uh, do so well. Uh, That is true of us, and that's been true of every single person in the Bible, that we forget that it is not about us. The very first human being that God created, who was told that he was created in the image of God and that uh, was given everything that he could possibly imagine, uh, when the spotlight was shown on him, started to wonder uh, if there was if he was missing something, if, if, if he uh, actually ought to be at the center of this story, if God was keeping something from him, if there was some way where he could actually get more out of uh, this world that had been given to him. And so when uh, the spotlight is shown on the first Adam, he reaches out and he takes from the tree and his eyes are open. He realizes there was more that God was keeping from him, but it wasn't what he wanted to realize. He didn't want to experience the sin and the pain that God, that's what, that's what God was actually trying to keep from him. But now his eyes were opened and he was like God. It happens again throughout scripture It happens again in the Gospel of John. Uh, There's one of Jesus' disciples who follows him uh, throughout his entire ministry, who gets to experience all of the miracles that Jesus does and even gets to have Jesus bow down and wash his feet. This is the one who John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Who's the same one who, as a servant, goes and washes his disciples' feet. This one is, uh, this disciple that I'm talking about, is Peter. And after Jesus is arrested and he is brought into trial, uh, a little spotlight starts shining on Peter. And it's a spotlight from a servant girl who asks, aren't you one of his disciples? Peter, right there, has the perfect opportunity to simply say, yes, I am one of his disciples. But he says, no, no, I am not. And then the question is presented to him to, again. And he says, no, I'm not. And once again, it's presented to him. And he says, no, I am not one of his disciples. He is the exact opposite of John the witness. Where John gets it right three times, he says it, he does not deny it. Peter denies Jesus three times. Anytime we try to put ourselves in the center of the story, anytime we start to think it's about us and who we are and what we can do, the spotlight becomes too bright for us and it ends up burning us. Jesus continually points us back to say, I am the light of the world. I am the one who existed before all time will exist for eternity, and ultimately the story is about him. Jesus takes Peter after Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and he shows up on a beach and has breakfast with him. And then he takes Peter and he shines the spotlight on Peter. 
And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you know I love you. Three times Jesus asks him. And three times Peter gets it right. You know that I love you. When Jesus shines the light on Peter, it ultimately is not to shame him or to make him feel guilty, but instead to reveal that he is someone who is loved by Jesus. That he is someone who is restored to community. That he is someone who again is following the light of the world. I've mentioned several times that we are preaching uh, from the Gospel of John. But nowhere in this Gospel does it actually say that it is written by John. The only times that uh, John is mentioned is for John the witness or uh, Simon, uh, Peter, the son of John. The, the, the author of this Gospel does not tell us that his name is John. Instead, in this Gospel, he simply identifies as the one that Jesus loves. He knows that it is not about him. It is ultimately about Jesus. I uh, recently finished a a biography about uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the preacher in London. Uh, He took over his, he was called to his church when he was 19 years old. And it went from about 60 people to a few thousand uh, within about two months. Uh, and they had to go and rent out one of the, a big hall in London in order to, uh, because so many people were coming to hear him. He was just such a gifted preacher that uh, he just ha- had a way of drawing crowds and of, of people uh, coming to faith through him. He was one time uh, riding in a carriage and as he was in the carriage at night, he could see down the road that uh, lamps were being lit. And in those days, they were gas lamps. You had to, uh, someone had to you know, climb up on a ladder and, and light them with fire so that they would be lit. And he could see the lights going on, uh, but he uh, couldn't see the one who was lighting them uh, because the lamp lighter was uh, shrouded in darkness. And he thought, that's exactly uh, the kind of ministry that I want. Someone who uh, points other people toward the light, who, who reveals the light, but it isn't seen and is eventually forgotten. Well, uh, we're not going to forget uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, for a while. Um, but there's someone in his life who we don't know and who we will never know who they were. When he was about 15 years old, uh, on a Sunday morning, uh, he was going to go to church, and he wasn't a Christian at that time. And uh, there was a massive snowstorm, and he shows up at a church, and there's about 10 people there, and the person who uh, was the pastor of that church, or who was going to preach that morning, couldn't make it because of the snowstorm. And so someone in that congregation just gets up, and they read the text, and the text is from Isaiah, And it says, look to me all the ends of the earth and you will be saved. And as uh, Spurgeon heard this person read the passage, he thought this person is so uneducated. His word was actually, they are so stupid. uh, They cannot even pronounce the words in the text. And he starts judging the person who's 
who's preaching. And then the person, you know, they hadn't prepared a sermon. They weren't planning on preaching that morning. Uh, they just kind of start repeating those words, look to me and be saved for 10 minutes. Uh, he tries to stumble through this uh, passage and say something about it, but ultimately it's just look to me and be saved. And at the end, he looked at Spurgeon and he says, young man, you look really uncomfortable. You should look to Christ. And in that moment, that very morning, Spurgeon's eyes are opened and he sees Jesus Christ. We will never know, or, well, we will know in eternity, but on this earth, uh, we have no idea who that person was who opened up, who, who God used to open up Spurgeon's eyes to see Jesus. In the same way, ultimately, it, it doesn't matter who it was. What matters is that he saw Jesus. The same is true for all of us. Ultimately, it doesn't matter who we are or what we do. It isn't about us. We are simply here to reflect the glorious light of God's Son. He is the light of the world who has come into the world to live, to die, and to rise again. 